Amen. Oh, good. I'm going to I'm going to sit probably in a minute, and I want you to be able to see me and not look around. But I mean, I'd rather be down there. Would Would y'all like me to be down there? Could you see me down there? No, I was afraid you'd say that. All right. Uh, let me give you advertisement first, so this doesn't count on my time. Advertisement. If uh, we are studying Hebrews, and we're in chapter 5 tomorrow. You do not have to have a book. Come at 9.30. We're in the music room. Bring a Bible or a device. The men are starting um, John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. And I love that book. It changed my life. It helps you. It helps. It helped me to understand my husband's adventurous heart, how God has made uh, them to have an adventurous heart, and all the things my boys were doing, and all, my husband. I understood it, and how God pursued the woman likes her heart to be pursued. Uh, you would just benefit by getting encouraging your husband to go. I'm just saying, and um, I. Uh, I help teach. Jamie, raise your hand. Y'all know Jamie. She's been up here. She teaches a couple of weeks. I teach a couple of weeks. You have the young and the old. So you have everything, just a little bit of everything, different teaching styles, but it's scripture and we go verse by verse and it's just something about women uh, studying the word together. Please come. No one has a book except we, we, just, we just go through Hebrews. Lydia did mention a book, but no, nobody has books. Just come on. You'll love it. And we'd, huh? Be quiet. All right. Okay. Let's see. That I wanted to say one thing about DG, then we'll start my time. The DG, <laughs> I'm not counting that any of my time. I wanted to say I have a, also have a, belong to a DG group, and the way mine works is we have it at my house every Wednesday because I live by myself. So I get my house clean on Wednesday, and every Wednesday I promise I'm going to leave it this clean the next week. That don't ever happen. But uh, we have it at my house. I cook them brownies every week. So see, it's just different. I, I entice them to come. So we have, a, we have a great time. We're studying. What are we studying, Rhonda? We're studying Daniel. Daniel. We just went through Ruth. Right, it was great. Okay, so uh, I'm still on advertisements. Okay, uh, some books that I love. Uh, Jamie got me started on Bob Goff. I can't. When I listen to him on the tape, I have to buy him anyway. When I listen to him on the audiobooks, he has encouraged me to step out and quit sitting on my plans. Live like Jesus lived, and that is love. This is his devotion book. It's great. Uh, Gentle and Lowly. This was, I usually have a table up here. It's not quite so awkward. Uh, Gentle and Lowly. Jason, I think the pastors, Jason and Luke went through that. And so I had to buy me a book. Of course, they gave theirs away or something. So I got me a book. And it is great. Isn't it? Isn't it? Okay. Uh, I have a couple of books that I might mention today. Unglued, it's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be this way. Uh, by Lisa Turkhurst, she's my new friend. I tell everybody, I, I feel like I go, go drink coffee with her. She makes you feel like that. Like, okay, okay, that's it. That's all the advertisements. Okay, 
Uh, you know, I have, I don't know if you know me, but I've, my name is Leslie, and I've been going to church here for uh, four years, and my son, Luke, is one of the pastors, so I have family here, Ashley, Laurie, you know, you couldn't get by without me at least mentioning your name, and Lydia, you have met, and now you know why Lydia is the way she is. Okay, so I went to Home Depot, and I brought you some new pictures of my grandkids, because I just know you wanted to see them. Aren't they fabulous? I have one more. And the people that are OCD can't stand this stuff saying up here, but I'm going to leave it up here anyway. Okay, so just thought you might want to see. Y'all teach them, I know. And thank you for that, because I know they're a handful, because I keep them. And uh, uh, let's see, what else did I want to say? I always like to share a book. I always do the grandkids. Sorry if you've heard me all four years. That's just the way it is. Uh, maybe I'll get some new material. Wouldn't you like that? Uh, I love um, Lee Ezel. I'm going to try to stand over here without falling. Uh, what? This is my favorite book. I share it every time. What women, what men understand about women, the unabridged version. I saw her present this book. A radical peek inside the minds of men. And this is it. Can you see? Uh, the women kind of like it, but the men not so much. But I did have a principal one time uh, who is now way up high, and uh, he bought it for his staff. He thought it was funny. All right, so uh, let me start with, let's see, sometimes I use this sign. This was my husband. We passed it back and forth from each other, thou shalt not whine. I think he needed it the most. Okay, we're going to talk about grace upon grace. I talked about the grandkids, and I'm going to, tip, I'm going to write a, read a little something I wrote for you to start. It's fun to see the eyes of a child, through the eyes of a child. Jesus loved children, Mark 10, 14 through 15. We talked about that at our table, didn't we? Powell, three, and Leslie, five, two of my grands, took their new Doc McStuffin tool to give me a checkup. Leslie gave me a shot, and Powell checked my ears <laughs> with the, not the ear checker. He says, let me see, Grammy. Oh, you're 14. Let me see the other ear, Grammy. Oh, you're 16. Oh, well, what does that mean, Powell? Grammy, that means you are normal. And I said, well, I'm so glad because I've been trying to be normal my whole life. And then they handed me a bill. <laughs> they got it down, don't they? No matter what kind of day I have had, when I walk through the door and Pal and Leslie hear, Grammy's home, I just knock and walk in the uh, laundry room. They start running and squealing. When they see me, Pal starts sprinting into my arms, hugging, touching my face, telling me something on his mind. I can't always understand what he's saying, but his face and excitement says enough. Leslie is usually there hugging my legs. I can't pick her up anymore, not both of them at the same time. And I'm leaning against the washer to keep from falling over. Every time it seems like they haven't seen me in weeks, They delight in seeing their Grammy because we love each other. And it reminds me every time how God feels about us. He delights 
in seeing us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that we are, 1 John 3, 1. He wants us to continue to run to him. He always loves us and has those opening arms full of grace and truth extended. We run to him for forgiveness, help, encouragement, thankfulness, and just to spend time with him, just to listen to him, just to hear him. Maybe a word, maybe feel a thought, maybe a touch, just to obey him, to bask in his presence to learn from his heart, to become more like him. Sharing my life with him while he shares his life with me. His grace never runs out. His grace is an inexhaustible well. Grace has a name, and that name is Jesus. I have a friend, Sissy, made me some little posters and I may or may not use them at the end of the time. We'll see how we're doing. So grace has a name, and you can answer. That name is Jesus. All right, we'll go through some more of that. Um, we're going to start with Jesus. Great place to start since we're talking about grace. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with... And the Word was... He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 6. Well, let's say uh, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt, which means pitched a tent among us or stated tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So grace and truth is coupled uh, several times when describing our in connection with Christ. Verse 16, this is our verse for our conference. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. About a month ago, I heard someone quote Eugene Peterson, uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And at first I thought, Ooh, I don't know, is that? I love it. Don't you just love it? He moved into the neighborhood. Showing Jesus' humanity, fully God, yet fully man, sometimes called the God-man. Jesus knows what it's like to be thirsty. Think about his humanness. Hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated, tortured, and killed. Dane Ortland, that's out of that gentle and lowly book. I would like to add tempted. Christ was tempted in the wilderness when Satan, after he had uh, fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And then he was tempted in the garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews 4.15. Here's the difference. 
He understands our weakness in every way, yet without sin. We have a God in heaven who by experience knows what I am going through. Hebrews 1, uh, 1 through 3, we have studied in our class. And I'm going to go kind of fast because I have a lot to say. God has spoken to us through his son, verse 2, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the universe. Blow your mind. The sun is the radiance or the shining force of God's glory, the exact imprint, a stamp, the exact imprint of the nature of God. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. We have talked about sustaining, I think, in every, in every session. He made purification for our sins. He died for our sins. And then Christ went back to heaven, set on the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews 2, we studied that Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. How about that family circle? John 14, 9, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Let's talk about grace a few minutes. So that's just saying that if you want to know about God, learn about the Father. I mean, learn about the Son. Spend time with the Son. Grace is mentioned 171 times in the Bible, depending on your version. I always like to say that because... Uh, look up whatever it is we're talking about. Because if God mentions it one time in the Bible, it's important. But 171 times? I'm sorry I keep hitting this thing. Uh, grace, a little definition. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is undeserved favor. When you're given grace, you're given better than what you deserved. Grace is the favor and love of God in action, David Kesick. Grace upon grace, our verse that we're, um, we're centering around today, could be translated grace in place of grace, grace in exchange for grace. Uh, the Amplified Bible says favor upon favor, blessing upon blessing, heaping gifts upon heaping more gifts. And this is my favorite definition by Mark Clark. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. What is that? Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That is everything. He created us and everything that he does we cannot do for ourselves. Uh, when it says out of his fullness... Uh, his super abundancy, the fullness of the supply is constant. I think about a fountain. I had, I had these grandeur ideas of uh, showing a fountain that's always overflowing. Or how about a waterfall? It never stops. It just keeps, the, the supply keeps flowing. So what do you think about when you think about grace? How about the ocean? Our family loves the ocean, I'm just saying. And seeing that it's just a spiritual thing, you know, to us. Seeing that those waves come and come and come. And I love the ocean. I try to go, anytime a car's going, I, I invite myself sometimes. And, um, and it, 
I can only kind of get in the shallow water because the tide messes with my brain. I've gotten that age where that tide just makes me do this, and my bottom hits the bottom. <laughs> and I have to have help getting up. And I've done it three times, and I do it every year. So I make sure some family member is around so they can help get me up. And uh, the other day, I, I had Hudson. He's eight. Uh, I had Hudson. It was his day with afternoon with Grammy. And uh, he said, Grace, that's another way we use grace. We're thankful to God. All right, so uh, Hudson prayed, Lord, bless our food and help my family buy a beach house. <laughs> and I said, oh, are y'all thinking about buying a beach house? I got excited. And he said, no, Grammy, but probably not. It doesn't hurt to pray for it. I said, you go, Hudson. This is my, one of my favorite quotes from Larry Allen. You can have as much Christ as you want. Just think about that a minute. You can have as much of Christ as you want. How much do you want? When we let the world crowd in, the noise, our busyness, how much of Christ do you want? Grace is necessary. It's connected with salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for, by grace, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You can't work for it. Christ gave it freely, and he is our hope. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you to know I have claimed that verse hundreds of times. My grace is sufficient for you, Leslie. My grace is sufficient for you. Instead of removing the thorn from Paul's life, he pleaded with God. you remember that? Three times. God didn't remove it, but he would keep giving his grace to Paul. The grace God gave to Paul was sufficient to meet every need. My grace is sufficient for you right now, at this moment. Not that it will be one day, but right now. What you're going through. It was written by Spurgeon, and I love his definition. The, the sufficiency that we just talked about, my grace is sufficient, is hard to explain. This grace is sufficient, sufficient to uphold you, sufficient to strengthen you, sufficient to comfort you, sufficient to make your trouble useful to you, sufficient to enable you to triumph over it, sufficient to bring you out of it, sufficient to bring you out of it, Ten, and 10,000 like it, sufficient to bring you to heaven. Then he said, I just can't explain it. And I'm glad I can't explain it because then it would be finite. And this grace is inexhaustible and it demands, its demands are never, the demands on it are never too great. You know, I think we sometimes go to bed with problems. And, of course, we do. We all do that. If you're living, you have some problems. So we go to bed with our problems. We ask the Lord to take them. But the next morning when we wake up, we have some of those same problems. Don't we? 
But this, here's the thing. His mercies and his compassions are new every morning. And his grace is sufficient for you this day during this messy situation or the incredible challenge that you face. Jesus simply, Jesus doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. I love that. He doesn't, that was from Dane. He doesn't simply meet us in our place of need. He lives with us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. I know I'm going fast. Maybe you can re- write the reference down. Uh, Paul gave the grace of God all the credit for the change in his life. You know the story of Paul, how he was um, persecuting Christians, his anger, his hate. Now he is forgiven. Once he was filled with hate, now he is forgiven, changed and full of love. Paul knew what it, it was not from his own accomplishment, but from the grace of God in him. So I know that grace that grace saves us and it changes us. God's grace supplies everything you need. Think about this. You are what you are and you do what you do because it is God's grace that is in you. By the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm skipping over seven, uh, several pages. I know you're glad about that. I timed myself, said, oh, that's got to go. You know, uh, I have to kind of stick to my notes. I apologize for that because I'm at that age where you chase rabbits. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you know? And then, uh, then you forget where you are. And then uh, you, it, like, it, and I'm at that age like, you know, you uh, hide something so nobody will find it. Do y'all do that? You hit it so well, what? <laughs> you don't know where it is. And so, and then your next thought is, after you've looked for it, your next thought is what? Someone took it. <laughs> you ever done that? If not, your grandparents probably have done that or will do that. Someone must have took it. And then, uh, then I realized that um, nobody lives at my house. Nobody could have taken it. And sometime later I find it. Uh, Others need to see God's grace in our lives. Luke's sermon last week, he has said, and so has Jason, we cannot compete with the world. Grace is all the church has to offer. And he says it, and he says, and you're going to hear a lot of it. The church needs to turn or return to a posture of grace. I think God's grace is what sets us apart from our culture and apart from our world. We need to be extending grace to each other and extending it to the outside world. We've talked a lot about that today, haven't we? I wrote mine before all that, I'm just saying. What if we intentionally, listen, ladies, what if we intentionally decide to live in the posture of grace. Just the women in this church. If you go to this church or women in this group or go to another church, 
how it would change things for the kingdom. How are ways we can live in this posture of grace? I thought of a few things. What would it look like? Forgiveness. We have talked about that. Love the unlovable. Love our enemies. Bob Goff says, take your enemies to coffee (laughs) and pray for them. He said, that's what Jesus would do. He hung out with a, you know, that we would call enemies, I guess. How about our conversation and our words? And I thought, am I brave enough to talk to a group of ladies about what they say? I am. We're going to talk about that. Encourage others. Humble yourselves. Put others first. A posture of grace. I'm going to give you some personal examples in my life. This is list number one. I'm going to go quick. Places I should have extended grace, and they're all true. Should have, I said. You know that person who's always on your last nerve? The one that says ugly mean things to you and maybe your family? Your kids will tell you what's being said. The one who hurt your child, they better watch it. The one who is petty. Oh, we talked about that too. The one who seems to be out to hurt you over and over and over. It's their mission in life. The coworker who got you in trouble. The coworker who took your idea and used it as their own. The one who falsely accused you and your husband and your children of some awful things. And you know how wonderful my family is. I know you couldn't imagine that. We didn't do it, but we were accused. The one who you're trying to help and then they cussed you out. Oh, my. If you work in the public, you're going to have that. The one who yelled at you, that same family member. How about the lady at church? You know the one. I hope you all have different ones. When someone offends us, the first thing that pops in our mind is not uh, using graciousness, is it? No. Do they deserve grace from you? Probably not. But neither did you. I think, Tracy, someone mentioned that too several times. If we're going to live like Jesus lived, that's exactly what we're called to do. Live and love like Jesus. I think it's easier a lot of times, I've said this a lot of times, it's easier to read Scripture, teach it, because you know what all the words mean. You've looked up all the things. But it's not as easy to live it every day, is it? Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer every man. I love the way that scripture says. Uh, I didn't ever recognize it till the other day. The way you act toward outsiders, extending grace to people outside, outside of the church. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be, here's another word, always full of grace. Lord, do you mean always full of grace? And that salt has a connection with the word wisdom. This verse I continually work on. And some in this room would say, Leslie, it's not working. 
<laughs> it's not working. You need to keep trying over. I'm doing this over here because these are all the teachers I worked with for um, 20 years maybe. Looking in this room, I can see many people that I have had to apologize to. My family. My teacher friends. If you are in, in if you have relationships women have a lot of relationships you are going to have drama and you're going to have to work on extending grace I worked with 50 women and it was a challenge but I got better I think I got better because they helped me I could tell immediately you know immediately when you've offended someone and so I learned then I was going to have to apologize that day. And try, you know, don't defend yourself. Just apologize and do better. That's what, that's what I'm trying to do. Choose healing words, words that encourage, words that help, words that lift up, not tear down. I would even say words full of grace sometimes leaves the door open for a lost person to hear and receive the gospel at another time. I've seen that in my ministry. Does that make sense? Jason says it a lot, so I can use that. I want you to understand that. When you use grace to someone who's offended you, you extend grace to them. They may not get saved. They may have nothing to do with you. You may be moving. That was my case. But that left the door open where they might hear the gospel later. Uh, Lisa Turkhurst, in her uh, devotion, when giving grace seems hard, she said, we remember that Jesus doesn't offer us partial grace. Jesus continues to give us grace, and that grace took him all the way to the cross. She teaches like she did in the forgiveness to stop a while, think before you answer, before you shoot that text back, before you open your mouth. That's my problem. You know, my humor's kind of out there. And um, I quit back, and it hurts people's feelings. I have worked on that. I think about uh, the times I've messed up and needed his grace over and over again, and I know you have too. This is my uh, number two list of my sins. I'm going to just, just to name a few. I said lost your temper, but I meant lost my temper. How about being bossy? How about yelled at your kids when you were going to do better today? Kids at school, kids at home. How about rude to the, when I was rude to the grocery store clerk at Walmart or Target? How about when you argued with your child's teacher? I mean, it's your child, you know. Or the doctor, or the nurse, or your neighbor, or friend. How about when you got mad at the coach? Coach's wives. If you have children playing sports, you're going to get mad at the coach, I'm just saying, sometime. Because he has his own agenda. He knows what he's doing. He has his plan. How about being upset when I was upset with pastors or leaders in the church? I've done that. And my husband was a pastor. <laughs> he would tell people when he preached on sin, and he says, um, the next Sunday he said, don't, don't 
listen to Leslie at the door because I, I would say, he says, I would say, Larry really didn't mean to hurt your feelings. That's what he said I would say. He would shake their hand first, and I would meet them at the back door on their way out. He said, Leslie, quit saying that. I did mean it. I said, okay. All right, so how about when I gossiped? How about when I was not dependable? I told someone I was going to do it, but I didn't. How about when I told a lie? How about when I said hurtful things to my own family and my own husband through the years? How many times have I needed that grace extended to me? We need to live in a posture of grace and extend it to others. I can see I have much work to do in my life, and I am working on it. The older I get, the more, I know you wonder how old I am, right? <laughs> the older I get, I've mentioned it several times, uh, the more I am reminded of the verse in James 4, 4, that you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your life is a vapor, like a vapor or a mist. It's here for a little while and it vanishes away. While I am here, I want to extend grace. I've watched, one of the, I've watched a lot of the if gatherings. There's 30 people uh, speaking and I've listened to all except a, so I don't know, a political one or something like that. Politics in the church, something like that I wasn't interested in. Maybe I need to watch it. But I've watched uh, uh, Todd uh, five times. I watched one of the if gatherings that really touched my heart, and it was uh, called Don't Waste Your Suffering by Joni Erickson Tata and Catherine Wolf. Wolf. Two wheelchair-bound women. Joni with only the use of her neck up. You remember Joni. Is that her name, Joni? And you remember her. She dove as a young teenager in shallow water. She can move her neck up. Catherine had a massive stroke when she was very young, and she can only move one leg and one arm. And this half, she's still a young woman, this half is dead, and it's hard to understand her. And they talked about letting their scars testify. And, you know, they're always being asked, would you have chosen this road for your life? No, that answer is no. But they did say, they did, couldn't say no like I did. But you know what they, and they did say, well, if I hadn't had these trials in my life, I may not have walked down that road to find Jesus. And they have that megaphone that we've talked about, that megaphone uh, for groups of people, women listening to them. And one lady, I mentioned that in our um, Hebrews class, and one of the ladies said, I said, that's so convicting to me. And one lady said, I know, and it's hard for us to share the gospel with one person, isn't it? Can I tell you that grace is sufficient for you? When you need him, he's there, just as he promised. Part of my story is I want my scars to testify. I was born with a handicap, and then I lost my husband of 45 years. I, too, would not have chosen this path of those two things. But I want you to know that 
I have grown closer to the Lord in this, these few years than I have ever been. I study his word. I have that time I'm retired. I stay in my pajamas to noon and study all morning. It's great. It's great. I'm just telling you. I was, I was guilty for about two weeks. And then Luke said, well, Mom, hadn't you worked all these 42 years? I said, okay, then I'm going to stay in my pajamas and do what I want. All right, so what? Oh, <laughs> these young ones got a long way to go. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. He has enough grace for you. Matt Chandler says, God can't run, run out of God. Don't you just love him? Doesn't that sound like him? God can't run out of God, and you cannot out his grace. The woman caught in, caught in adultery. Was there enough grace for that? In John 8, the Samaritan woman at the well who had five husbands and was living with another, John 4, was there enough God, of God's grace for her? How about King David? Didn't he do some things, some awful things? Was there enough of God's grace for him? God called him a man after his own heart. How about Rahab the prostitute? Rahab the harlot, we call her. It says in Scripture, in the lineage of the Lord. Was there enough grace for her? Maybe some things in your past. Maybe some things happening now. Sometimes we have a hard time forgiving ourselves, but there's nothing this has been mentioned that you have done that is beyond God's grace. That is so assuring and reaffirming. Wrap it up. You know, teachers have to wrap it up. A grace upon grace is an exhaustible well full of grace and truth. Grace, forget, grace through faith forgives us. Grace changes us. Grace is sufficient. Grace sustains us. Grace supplies all we need. What if we live intentional lives in asking for God's help to extend grace to each other and to the outside world? I have a friend, Sissy. Sissy, raise your hand. I'm not going to give you any business. I'm just going to tell them. Uh, Sissy does some things for me, and um, <laughs> she doesn't get paid much. <laughs> and uh, I, I loved the way that we did the grace, and so I thought, well, let me do some more. Uh, Jesus has a name, and that name is Grace. Okay, let's do it the other way. Truth has a name, and that name is Jesus. Mercy has a name, and that name is Jesus. I want y'all to answer so you can wake up before you go home. Hope has a name. That name is Sustainer has a name. That name is Forgiver has a name. That name is Creator has a name. That name is Peace has a name. That name is Faithful has a name. That name is Savior has a name. That name is 
Y'all know I don't want to go through these again. You better answer. Redeemer has a name. That name is. Advocate has a name. That name is. Love has a name. That name is. Sinless has a name. That name is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. These Bless these ladies in their homes. Bless them in their lives. Thank you for the anchor, for forgiveness, for relationships, for DG groups, for your grace upon grace. I pray you'll help us to extend grace to each other's. Show us ways to do that. Extend grace to each other and extend grace to the outside world. In Jesus' name, amen.